the Gerontological Society of America, Advancing Innovation in Aging. GSA on Aging. I'm Howard Degenholz, social media editor of The Gerontologist, a publication of the Gerontological Society of America. I interviewed Ruben Ung from the National University of Singapore. Ruben published two papers in The Gerontologist, Not Too Old for TikTok, How Older Adults Are Reframing Aging, and Hostility Towards Baby Boomers on TikTok. These two papers paint a very interesting picture of how this new media is being used. I am talking today with Ruben Ung from Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, National University of Singapore. You did some really interesting research, and I'm very excited to talk to you about it today. And two papers that just came out in The Gerontologist, and it's really fascinating. And I want to say fun line of research, but when we get into it, I think there's some dark aspects of it too. But welcome. Tell us about yourself and where you are and what you do. Sure. Thanks, Howard. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely to be on your podcast. My name is Ruben Ng. I'm from Singapore. I'm based at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy in Singapore. I'm a psychologist by training, but quite an undisciplined psychologist. I first started out my career in management consulting, helping organizations become stronger, helping governments think about how to use data more intelligently for public policy. Thereafter, I joined the Singapore government where I did some of those roles as well. So from consulting to government, I went into academia. So it's really my background in psychology and my experience in consulting and government that sort of led me towards position in public policy where I could really make a difference to the entire value chain of knowledge, not just to create knowledge, but also to think about how knowledge can impact policymaking, policy agenda setting, and policy communication. And it's a great place uh, to be in. We interact with government officials across Asia, students with interest in public policy. And my focus there would really be on aging policy, uh, research on how to bring out the best in older people. Singapore, as you know, is rapidly aging society. In a few years' time, we'll be super aged, which means that one in five people in Singapore will be 65 years and above, joining the ranks of Japan and Korea. So aging is very important for us. We see aging as a resource and a blessing rather than a burden. And part of my research is to see how we could decrease ageism, understand it a bit better so that we can reframe aging so that society values older adults rather than think they are diminished and a burden to everyone. Ruben, I'm going to start in the middle because in your papers, one of the selection criteria for the TikTok videos was that they were in English. So what I'm curious, I don't know that this was in the data that was in the papers, but were they US-based? Were they in Europe? Were there videos from Asian countries, but in English? And what drove that decision to use that selection criteria? Howard, that's a great question. So the selection criteria was really based on the availability of data. So there were two sort of TikTok papers. One paper was really looking at how older adults have been talked about by young people. And they have pretty much been denigrated in a way. The other paper was really looking at how older adults have expressed themselves on TikTok. And that's amazing because these older adults uh, have enjoyed such a large following. So we were looking specifically for older adults with a large following because having a large following of 100,000 and above means that they have the power to reshape societal perceptions with their content. So for that particular paper, the inclusion criteria really were older adults 
with followers above 100,000. And they sort of were spread across different geographies from America to Europe. There were a couple in Taiwan and South Korea. But the content of TikTok was really interesting because some of them were just dancers and they had grandchildren speaking with them in, in English. So it was pretty much English content. There was Chinese content, but it was a different platform that is used predominantly in China, which is what we are planning to do next. Because I think it's really interesting to see how all the adults are presented and present themselves across different video-based social media platforms. Yeah, I think that'll be really fascinating to be able to contrast your findings with data from a completely different culture or sort of set of cultures, right? Because it's not a monoculture either in the English-speaking world or in the Asian world as well. So one of the things that struck me as I was reading the papers, both the paper that was looking at videos that were sort of making fun of older people or sort of criticizing older people. And the other paper, which was older people sort of talking about themselves, normalizing aging and presenting themselves as vibrant or sexy or, you know, sort of pushing back on stereotypes, right? So one of the things that I was curious about was to what extent do you think that the hostility paper, hostility toward baby boomers on TikTok. How much do you think some of that is tongue-in-cheek and how much of it is as real antipathy towards older adults? That, that's a great question. We weren't able to really understand the intentions of people who created the video. But if we were to triangulate the different videos that were created by maybe similar groups of people, similar behavioral segments, I think there is real anger towards older people on TikTok. Some of it, of course, is exaggerated, as most content on social media do. Uh, it, it tends to be exaggerated. It tends to veer towards you know, some extreme views. There is a big body of videos that, that show that there is real anger, frustration towards older adults. Uh, so I think that phenomenon is real. It mirrors what other scholars have found for perceptions towards older adults and aging on other social media platforms as well, such as Twitter, Facebook. So I think we are finding a real sort of negative or, or ageism, if, if I can call it, on those platforms, especially on TikTok. So I think that's real. There's some that is more frivolous. But I think in describing older adults frivolously, I think people could do it positively rather than negatively. But we have found that it's just been overwhelmingly negative. Mm -hmm. Interesting. After I read the papers, I went and I tried to see what would happen if I put OK Boomer and, you know, hashtag OK Boomer into TikTok. And the number one video or video personality that came up was a young woman whose name is Mikulu. Have you seen her videos? And she became famous because she was sort of doing a dance and then she sort of lip syncs the words okie dokie boomer and then people sort of picked up on that as a very kind of emblematic uh, criticism but then as you sort of look through her videos and all of her stuff you see she's wearing a bernie sanders shirt and she sort of identifies voting for bernie sanders and what occurred to me was like maybe the story is a little more complicated here Yes, Howard, thank you for going on TikTok <laughs> to some of these things. I, I think that it, it just tells me you're a great social scientist. You don't just believe what papers are, right? <laughs> you, you actually go examine the data as well. So I think that, that's fantastic. And that's, that's a hallmark of a good social scientist. So I congratulate you on that. Oh, well, to be quite honest with you, I'm in a generation in between maybe yourself and your kids. 
So I, I'm not a digital native as well. I didn't grow up with social media. In fact, I remember, so in Singapore, we have a conscript army. So I served national service in the army and in infantry, maybe when I was after high school, mm-hmm. somewhere 19, 20, 21. Mm-hmm. So I actually got my first computer when I was 20 years old. I remember it was big clunky. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It was just big and clunky with, yeah. with the disc, with mixed lot of noises and things like that. So to be honest, I'm not a digital native. I actually set up a TikTok account to do research. So yes. I, I, I really wasn't on, on some of these social media platforms because to be honest, time suckers and they really color your view. It, it's pretty much an echo chamber. And that's why I personally am, am not on it. But you know, the majority of young people are on it. So many yes. people are on it. TikTok, I was surprised. In 2020, it was actually, it surpassed Google and Facebook to be the most downloaded app in the world. So, so that, that really surprised me, which means that it has tremendous influence. It has tremendous power to reshape societal perceptions and influence it, right? So th- there's a need for people like myself, even though unwilling social media users, to actually investigate what's going on for this big chunk of the world that's really on it. I want to interrupt you and just make one point, which is in both of the papers, you have these uh, some of these statistics that are just mind-boggling. In the hostility paper, you identified 988 videos, uh, hashtag boomer, 949 tagged OK Boomer, and they're just from a few hundred content creators, but altogether they had 5.4 billion views. I mean, that's just mind-boggling, you know, how many people are looking at these things. And obviously, they're looking at them over and over and over again, because you know that, that's a huge numerator. And the number of, of video content creators is so small relative to the number of watchers. That's really fascinating. So I understand what you're saying here, which is this is a very important media and medium where a few opinions reach a lot of people. Yes, uh, how are you? Absolutely right. That's a really astute observation. People who watch it, sometimes they watch it over and over again and they share it as yeah. well. Yeah. So, so it really expands in your social circle and, and whatever is perpetuated, perpetuates you know, within your social circle. And, yeah. and it's really interesting. I mean, on, on one hand, there are criticisms that we are only looking at for a few thousand content creators creating so much impact. Right. That, that's the criticism. Are, are we, is that really representative of wider societal perception among people that age group? I, I choose to say a different way. Number one, I mean, they have an amazing number of viewers. So they have the power to shape societal perceptions and influence it. Unfortunately, in this case, in a hostility paper, very negatively uh, among mm. young people. Yeah. But I think the advantage is that if we can identify some of these key opinion leaders among this small group of people and try to change their perceptions, get them to create positive content about older people, and I think that will be a win for gerontologists like ourselves, right? Because well, they're all right there. They're public figures yeah. in a way. And if we can target them, they can be on our site. They can be influencers for the anti-ageism campaign. Okay, so that that's really fascinating because one of the things that I wanted to engage you on is, okay, you've shown... Uh, that this content is there. You've shown that there are these negative perceptions out there. You've shown that they get a lot of viewership. So what is next? Like, what's what are we supposed to take away from that? Is it a public policy intervention, or maybe it's a you know a social marketing type of uh, approach that's not necessarily government driven in terms of outlawing this type of speech? You see where I'm going with that? You know, policies that 
certainly would be very, very difficult to implement in the United States or Western Europe, but maybe in Singapore or some other countries where there's certainly much more willingness of government to intervene and control communication channels. In the United States, there's a lot of talk about content moderation and creating positive obligations for the platforms to engage in content moderation. So that's another option. But I think you're moving in another direction, which is maybe co-opting some of these content creators to educate them, change their message by changing their hearts and minds. So so wh- where do you see it? You know, I gave you uh, three different options, but um, what do you think is the, um, the best strategy? Howard, uh, that's a great question, but a very difficult one. So I'll just share my, my thoughts. Well, we're not here for easy questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, right? That's great. That's great. You know, some thoughts came to mind. I think social media, because of the sheer amount of data, are able to go into really very precise directions or, or reasons why things happen. Right, because sometimes when we use uh, survey data, we uh, do focus group discussions. The number is really small, but here we have millions of videos, we have millions of views, and and we can really do a, a segmentation of of what's going on and what specific views for which specific behavioral segment we could target and advocate. You know, lesser age discrimination. So I think I, I think that's the first point. It, it's really the promise of social media. So I'll give an example. In the last two years, uh, we were working with the government, Singapore government, on efforts to decrease vaccine hesitancy among older adults. Vaccine hesitancy is quite rampant, to be honest, among older adults 65 years and above in Singapore. And the old way was to really run campaigns to tell them, you know, go take your vaccine, it will protect you and things like that. That sort of one-size-fits-all approach doesn't quite work. It may work for certain segments of older adults, but for all of them. So I think we realized that a one-size-fits-all uh, approach doesn't quite work to decrease narratives of vaccine hesitancy. So we started to use a more uh, news media, social media approach to understand what exactly are the views that are holding certain groups back. So we realized from you know harnessing data from survey focus groups and social media that there's a group of older adults. They are in the oldest old category, those 85 years and above. They are very hesitant to take the vaccine because it's the first time in their lives they are taking a vaccine. Mm. Never at any point in their lives had they taken a vaccine before. So it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of taking the vaccine for the first time in their lives. Mm-hmm. So that's one segment, why they were hesitant. Okay. The other segment, why they were hesitant, was because of social isolation. They were living alone. Mm-hmm. And because of all these news about uh, side effects, negative side mm-hmm. effects of vaccines, they were really afraid of dying alone because they were living alone. Mm. So once we knew that there were different segments, different ways of thinking, then for those people who were living alone, socially isolated, afraid that they may die alone because of the vaccine, given what they have heard and read, not necessarily all true, then those, for those older adults, we'll tell them, hey, look, we will tell them, don't worry, we'll follow up with you every three days. We even get an allied healthcare team down to you. This is a hotline, you are not alone. So the message is that you are not alone. But for the other group who is uh, terrified of taking vaccines for the first time, we could have other, the oldest old who have taken and say, hey, you know, it's, it's actually okay. This may be the first time, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. So, to, so to, to be able to do this, we had to harness social media data. So I think that that's, the, that's really the promise. That's number one. Number two, um, I think with regard to whether it's a top-down, sort of bottom-up approach, I think uh, a bottom-up approach actually works really well. A hybrid approach would work well, but I think in, in a case like 
ageism, decreasing negative age stereotypes. I think a bottom-up approach would really work very well. And I think these two papers have shown that there are two ways uh, to harness this bottom-up approach. I think the first is to really put older adults at the vanguard of this anti-ageism campaign. Because most of the time, anti-ageism campaigns, uh, if you think about it, it's run by age advocacy organizations. But here, we have a group of older adults putting themselves out there, putting content out there to defy age stereotypes negative age stereotypes. So I think those are the people we should try to bring on board, get them to influence uh, other older adults and, and see whether we can put more targeted content uh, for age advocacy. So you're putting uh, both, you're putting the papers together and saying one is the solution to the other. In a way, yes. In fact, that's a great observation because I think there can be a lot more intergenerational communication Mm-hmm. and intergenerational effort to combat ageism. The papers are sort of separate, right? So we, we see uh, who these people are. They're very angry about all their doubts. They exaggerate their content. We know who they are, right? They are public figures. Yeah. Can we get them on board in the workshop with some of these older adults and maybe co-create some sort of content for age advocacy? I think that would be amazing. TikTok is designed to do that because you can have yeah. this split screen. So you can have an older adult reacting to one of these younger adults' criticisms, right? And then, you know, obviously that could go sideways, but it could also create the kind of dialogue that you're envisioning. Have, have, you, have you thought about doing that? I mean, it, you're just putting it right out there not in terms of having people respond to these messages, but do their own version of the dance. You know what I mean? Like that's what the, the spirit of TikTok is, you know, people sort of singing along to each other or, you know, reacting to what the other video is doing. Yes, absolutely. So that's the beauty of TikTok. That's a very unique feature on TikTok that's not apparent in other social media platforms. Yeah. So they have this, exactly like you mentioned, very articulately, uh, you know, there's this split video thing. Uh, most of the time, it's very competitive. Uh, they almost yeah. gamify it, right? So, yeah. oh, this, this is better. I can up you, this kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think it's a great feature. But, but I, I think it takes some sort of bringing people together because most of the time, if I'm criticizing all their doubts, I probably wouldn't want to <laughs> co-create some content with them. So I think it needs some sort of nudging gerontologists like ourselves or HFOXY organizations to sort of bring them together because most of the time they are critical of each other because they have not met. Yeah, right? so but I think here's what I'm saying. Like you're envisioning an analog solution to a digital problem. And I'm saying use the tool to solve its own problem. In other words, just have the older people respond to the video and put it right back out there. You don't need to bring the younger person into the same room with the older person. Just have them do it all on TikTok. That's true. I, I think that that will be that will be very powerful. But but then again, I, I think it just increases maybe intergenerational tension in a way. You know, they, they okay. respond, respond back, and things like that. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> I, I, I think that's great. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, we I think, don't really I think know. that would and, be. And you know, and what I'm hearing. <laughs> And what I'm responding to and what you're saying is that it's the psychologist and the gerontologist and our position in the academy where we think, okay, we have a model for bringing people together that we think will be uh, lead to productive social interactions, right? And mm-hmm. and I totally respect that. I'm in the same spirit, right? I'm in the ivy tower. I know how it works. And what I'm <laughs> suggesting is that, well, let me turn it around. Have you found any videos of older adults responding to any of this type of criticism and hatred or directly in the way that I'm describing? Because clearly when they're making these videos, and we should we should talk a little bit more about the uh, not too old paper, clearly when they're making those videos, they're responding to their perception of ageism. In- I think they're both. 
some of the videos talk about, oh, generally in society, you, you think older people are weak, but look, I'm able to do this dance, right? So yeah, I, I yeah, think yeah, that's, yeah. you know, right. yeah, kind of thing. Some of them are, are, do actually do that split video thing. Uh, they mm-hmm. actually respond to certain videos and say, no, that's not true and things like that. So right. that's happening. But since, you know, since we, we did the analysis about a year or so ago, I think there's so much more data now on, you know, this, this sort of intergenerational interactions. So mm-hmm. I think that could be actually a great idea for another paper, just looking at those split screen stuff, older, oh, yeah. younger, or younger, older, analyze it and, and see how they're combating because they're doing it real time, right? And then yeah. maybe we can learn a thing or two about how they combat HDO times. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating, you know, to sort of harness the energy to actually be positive and uh, put out some positive messages. So let's talk a little bit about the not too old for TikTok, because I will confess, I actually made a TikTok video. You could find it. I had a lot of fun doing it. It was and I had a little bit of consultation from my uh, from my daughter on on how to do it. <laughs> but I'm not by no means thinking that I'm a, a star or have mastered the medium. Yeah, you know how it most influencers start with just creating a video or two, right? We're not sure whether it works. It's how everyone starts. Yes. You may have a great alternative career. Oh boy. Yes. <laughs> on, on I'm a, mm-hmm. <laughs> we could start something together, you know. You that know, this intercontinental like thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, this not too old for TikTok looks at how older adults are really reframing aging and putting mm-hmm. themselves out, defying age stereotypes. And first of all, the, the first thing that surprised me was how influential some of these older adults are on TikTok. You know, you, you never imagine that, you know, a platform that's dominated by young people uh, would have stars that are much older. So I think that's mm-hmm. the first thing that, that struck me. And that, that was something that thrilled me a lot, right? It, it was really wonderful to see all of that happening. And the other thing is that some of these social media influencers who are older adults, there's just so much following, or almost as much as some of these younger stars. So I think what we are seeing here is that uh, a lot of companies, a lot of organizations are coming to these older adults to say, look, uh, can you help create content for us? But the amazing thing is that these older adults, because they're at that stage of life that they could even care less about whether you're paying more or less. They just do something that they like and do something that's purposeful. So a lot of content that we see from older adults really comes from the heart and it fulfills some sort of social purpose, right? Because they, they see a lot of negative HDO types against them in real life and on social media. Uh, so they are really added out there coming from the heart, right? So, so the content is there. And, and I think what's great is that because most of the time, uh, other social media platforms are text-based like Facebook or Twitter. It, it's all text-based, right? So that you, you yeah. can't really see the complete expression of a particular person. I mean, right. if it's one thing to say, I can walk very well, I'm not frail. It's another thing to actually show it. Right. Yes. So, so I think it, it's a show and tell way that really debunks some of these myths about aging. And, and I think the third, it, it just goes to show what a small number of older adults could do, uh, define age stereotypes, right? So, uh, I mean, their, their videos were watched over 3.5 billion times. Oh, yeah. So I think the Amazing. messages are getting yeah. out there just by a small number of older adults. Can you imagine what society would be better off if there are more of them? So I think that gives us that hope to really put all that out to the vanguard of this anti-Hism movement. So Ruben, I want to curious about the content because you went specifically looking for content that was, you know, defying stereotypes, right? And and tackling some of these ideas head on. But one of the things that I'm curious about is whether some of the same content creators or maybe whether there are other content creators who are older adults, similar demographic to the people that you identified in the study, who are putting out content that's not about aging per se, but just putting out 
their own movie reviews or dances. They're not self-consciously saying, hey, look at me doing the dance and I'm 85, but just doing the dance or talking about a movie or you know making fun of a celebrity or telling a joke, which is what a lot of the social media is about. And I'm wondering if in doing this research, you identify content like that. I understand it's didn't meet the uh, inclusion criteria for the analysis, but I'm curious about what else is out there and what else does this content look like that older adults are producing? Hmm. Uh, thanks, Howard, for that question. So you were right. We only focused on videos that had the older adults explicitly talking about aging. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, uh, quite a bit of videos uh, were not included. So when we look at this excluded content, it can be as, <laughs> as frivolous as saying that, oh, this is how my day was. I'm eating sushi for lunch. I'm combing my hair, <laughs> yeah. you know, things like that. It's just amazing what, what, what's out there on right. social media, you know, that these older adults are creating. And the other things that didn't make it part of it frivolous content, some of the rest are quite political. Mm, so they were denigrating different parties. Yeah. That, that's why, you know, when I looked at this, ex- so it's really interesting you ask about this excluded content because it got me thinking whether there's ageism on partisan lines. You know, a hardcore conservatives, you know, have different ages views compared to liberal older adults, right? So, so this got me thinking because it's all of political content, but nothing about aging per se. So we, we see quite a bit of that. And while there are, there are some other videos showing older couples just crawling and they're just... <laughs> It's just you know, being that yeah. uh, interaction. It's nothing to do with aging, but I think that's interesting content about spousal relationships. But but we didn't have quite enough of that to do some analysis. Mm-hmm. That there's also a group of of videos about, about grief, right? Mm-hmm. So that's some true. of them yeah. made it, some of them didn't make it. But they were just talking about how it's like to lose a loved one, mm-hmm. and how they use TikTok to actually cope with that grief. So so that was pretty interesting because TikTok has these different features where you can. Uh, there was one video I saw about this older adult grieving the loss of her husband, I think that there was this magic ball and, and then she, she asked this magic crystal ball, oh, is he okay? This magic crystal ball said, yes, he is fine, you know, and, and she, she got really happy and that sort of helped yeah. her cope with her grief. So, yeah. so interesting content there. Yeah, Not everything yeah. was excluded, but excluded ones were really interesting as well. Yeah, that is very interesting. And that seems like a, a potential rich data source for additional research. So Ruben, tell me, what are you working on now? What's next on your agenda? Sure. Um, I always have too much on my plate. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, there are quite a few things I'm thinking about. You know, our, our team's research is really about three things. The first is we want to carry on looking at different platforms and understanding what nature of age stereotypes on those different platforms. So in this vein, the next exciting thing I'm working on is to look at patents. So there are a lot of patent data. These products, whether it's patent pending or these are patent awarded, targeted at older people. Hmm. So I want to track the trajectory of uh, innovation in the yeah. aging sector. Right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing that, so my intention was really to track the trajectory of innovation. Gosh, but what I'm seeing, there's so much ageism, you know, in how patents are written. Wow. Uh, you know, they, they really denigrate older adults. You know, we, we want to help. It, it's almost like you want to turn an older adult into a teenager. There's mm-hmm. so much ageism there. So I, I, was, I was just shocked. So mm-hmm. in the process of analyzing, I, I think we start putting something together about trajectory of innovation by analyzing patent data, all that out. And then we're just going to talk about some of these ageist things that are <laughs> happening That's, there. That is fascinating. So, you know, my father is a, a patent agent and he writes patents uh, and, and he works with wow. inventors and he did this work for uh, many, many years as sort of a, a side business. Mm-hmm. And then in his retirement, did more of this work. and. 
so I'm kind of familiar with the whole sort of patent world to some extent. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of age oriented technology, but I never really thought to analyze the language and the patent itself to see how they are describing the, I guess, the need for the innovation, right? So I think that's really fascinating. And I think that there's a important, very important venue for social change in the Patent and Trademark Office in the United States. I don't know the structure in Singapore, but there's certainly opportunity for the agency to use their power and authority to ask inventors to think clearly about the language that they're using. I'm, yeah, that's really fascinating. I think highly problematic. I would, I com- yeah, completely agree with you. You know, uh, in, in GSA, uh, our beloved society, I mean, we say don't use anti-ages language yes. and things like that. Maybe we should just share that with the U.S. Patents Office. In fact, that's the data set that I'm working on right now because that's the largest database yes. in the world. But so, so, I mean, if we could accessible. just give them some pointers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think that's fascinating. So, I fully endorse that. I think that's a great idea. Well, listen, Ruben, I want to thank you very, very much for spending the time talking with me. This is really fascinating work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Howard. Great to chat with you. I learned so much from you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To learn more about The Gerontologist and to read its latest articles, visit the website at www.geron.org. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to promote the scientific study of aging, to encourage exchanges among researchers and practitioners from the various disciplines related to gerontology, and to foster the use of gerontological research in forming public policy.